Exodus chapter number 2. And uh, I want to preach to you for a few moments on the truth, the mother of a world changer. It's hard for us to fathom the impact and influence that a mother had. Kings have knelt before them. Isn't that true? Men of war have wept on their knees. Many a man of God has learned how to pray at the feet of his mother. It's hard for us to fathom the influence and the impact that a mother has. I feel like a lot of the failures of society are failures of the home. Don't you believe that? And that the condition of our country is a reflection of the condition of our families. And until we put a focus back on the family and upon the roles of the mother and the father in the home, I don't know that we'll ever fix the problems in our country. You cannot fix on a level of magnitude that which is failing on uh, the level of the... I'm going to use the term uh, microcosm. I don't know if that's the term, but that's the term I'm going to use. You've got to fix the problem, not just treat the symptom. I feel like a lot of the difficulties that we're facing in society and the response of those in leadership is just the treatment of the symptoms and not the curing of the disease. Stronger homes will mean a stronger nation. Stronger homes will mean stronger churches. Only through the home can we affect the will of God for our life and for those around us. So this morning, I want to preach to you for a few moments out of Exodus chapter number 2. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer, not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. She laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. When she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. When she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. She had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. The child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege of being in your house. Lord, we, we thank you for mothers. We thank you for the influence of godly mothers. But Lord, help us not to lose sight that this day is still about you. Father, to see in your word this morning the beautiful truth of what you've done for us. And Lord, the impact that we can have for you. If there's any amongst us lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary, their need of salvation. Lord, I, I wouldn't have known if you hadn't shown me. Father, I pray that You'd show them their grandest need and that You'd meet it in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We'll be sure to thank you for it. Lord, we love you this morning. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we read Exodus chapter number 2, we're introduced to a man by the name of Moses. Moses is probably one of the most prominent figures in the entire Word of God. My pastor used to tell me, and he was a world traveler, and he had been all over. He had been to the Holy Land uh, well over 30 times. I believe about 32 or 33 times in his lifetime. And he said that if you ask a Jew who the greatest Jew that's ever lived was, they won't say Abraham, though he's the father of the Jews. Instead, they'll say Moses, for he's the redeemer of their race. When we think about the life of Moses, it literally shifted and impacted the entire world. Much is lost on us today because of the effort in academics to do away with any proof and evidence of the biblical record. But think and consider for a moment how that the world trembled and buckled before the mighty power of God displayed through Moses. I mean, literally, the hand of God on the life of Moses was enough to bring to his knees the emperor, the pharaoh of the world empire at the time. Who would have ever thought that Moses would have grown to such promise? If you look at the life of Moses, you would find a young man who wound up in an unlikely place, wouldn't you? Here's a young man that is born as a Hebrew slave, and yet is raised up as an Egyptian prince. Here's a man that forsakes his inheritance as an Egyptian prince to become a Hebrew shepherd. Here's a man that goes from being a Hebrew shepherd to being the one that shepherds the Hebrews out of the land of darkness and the land of Egypt. But if we go to the source to find out some things about Moses, you always go back to the root of the tree, don't you? And we come to the beginning of the life of Moses, and what we find in the ten verses that we read is although this is the beginning of the life of Moses, we find not really a narrative about Moses, but a narrative about Moses' mother. She went by the name of Jochebed. Her husband was named Amram. It's interesting as you study the Word of God that you know very little about Amram. He's not mentioned a whole lot. When he is mentioned, he's merely mentioned as the husband of Jochebed. And that is out of the natural biblical order. But God has seen it fit to show to us something about the impact that Moses' mother was able to have on his life. Look at these verses again with me. Let's just skim over them. And I'd have, you, I'd have you consider this and ask yourself this question. Who are these ten verses really about? Look what it says in verse number 2. It says, And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, she hid him. Verse number 3, When she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes. The end of verse number 3, She laid it in the flags by the river's brink. The book of Hebrews chapter 11 reveals to us that Amram was at least uh, willing to go along with this plan. For the Bible says that by faith Moses was hid of his parents. And yet we find as we read the book of Exodus in chapter 2, that we do not really see the father of Moses being the initiator in this plan and in this process. Let me say that I believe in the influence that a father can have. I believe there needs to be more influence from fathers. I believe that a father sometimes gets to determine his degree of influence over his children. But let me say this, 
A mother has an influence over her children whether she wants it or not. It's not that Amram wasn't a part of it, but it's that he wasn't the preeminent one in the story. It was Jochebed and her actions that directly impacted the entire world. In fact, some could say, and this could be said of many people in the lineage of Christ, and I'm aware that God's will was divinely purposed, and I'm aware that Christ was going to go to Calvary no matter what happened. I'm aware of that. I'm aware God was in control. But but, uh, you could say this about anyone, but particularly about Jochebed, that had she not done what she did, there could have been no Calvary. Had she not been willing to see in her son a potential and a cherish him and to guard him the way that she did, very likely the Hebrews would have never left Egypt. And so this morning I want us to notice five things about her. And let me just reiterate this again. Mothers, you have an influence over your children. You have an influence. Whether you want an influence or not, you have an influence over Much of what your child believes about the world, they'll draw from you. Much of what they believe about... God and their relationship with Him will be drawn from you. It's been said before, and I believe this is at least somewhat accurate, that the mother is the Holy Spirit of the home. And much of how your children deal with God will be determined on how they deal with you and how you deal with them. And so this morning I want us to notice five things about her very quickly. I want you to look with me at verse number 2. The Word of God says, And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child. Now, some would read that verse and say, well, of course, of course. No mother ever had an ugly child born to him. Amen? (laughs) They all love their children. They all cherish their children. They all treasure their children. And I promise you that that every mother with every child that's born that, that is her child, she falls in love with that child and she loves that child. But I don't think what we're seeing here is the typical love and appreciation that a mother has for her child. As you read and study what this word means, and and you say, what does it mean, preach? Well, it means goodly. It means goodly. But the idea that's denoted behind it in saying goodly is goodly in a spiritual sense. In other words, she didn't just look at him and count ten toes and and ten fingers. She didn't just look at him and make sure everything worked all right and say, well, praise the Lord, i got a healthy baby. But when she looked at this child, she looked into this child and saw something within this child that could impact eternity. Let me say, first off, we notice her perception. She understood and appreciated the value of what she had in that little child. She understood and appreciated the potential of the life that was laid in her care. And let me say that one of the things that makes a good mother is that they realize just what God's entrusted them with. You understand that when God entrusts you with a child... And by the way, you know, there, there's, I mean, there's mothers uh, biologically and then there's mothers uh, just emotionally. And one of the great mistakes that we make, I think, sometimes on days like this is only acknowledging uh, mothers that have mothered and, and children biologically. But the truth is, there's lots of folks that have taken the role of a mother in someone's life and have made an impact. And so I don't just mean in respect to those that are biologically mothers, but I mean any woman that has an influence over a young person, you need to value that. You need to value the input and impact that you have. When she looked at this child, she saw a child that God could use. Let me say that every child born in this world is a child God can use. 
Every child born in this world is a child. I'm sure Moses probably didn't look like much of a leader as uh, he laid in his mama's lap, but she saw in him a potential that if she'd give him to God, God could do something with it. The greatest untapped potential that we have in the church today is young people. Let me say that again. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's the hydrangeas or something, or, but let me say that again. Make sure everybody's okay. Make sure you really got that. The greatest untapped resource we have in the church today is young people. And the greatest instrument for influencing the lives of young people is mothers, whether biologically or emotionally. You have such a weight laid upon you. I'm aware of that. I've never, I'm I'm being honest with you, and I'm not saying that it's the only time that it's ever happened, but but I've never seen a woman work as hard as when my wife had our child, and pretty much every day since then. It's It's an awesome responsibility, but it's an awesome opportunity. Because understand that you're molding and shaping that child. Some of you say, preacher, I'm past childbearing years. I, 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 I'm, I'm never going to have a child again. And I get, it's, it's just pointing you. I promise you we didn't coordinate this. But I, I listen to the coos of that little baby that lays upon Miss Kim's chest. And I think to myself of the influence that a grandmother can have as well. Some of you, you may be past childbearing years. You, you may be into grandkids. You may be into great-grandkids. But every child that comes up and runs to your knees for comfort and for compassion, there's an opportunity to influence for the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single one. You see, you know what our goal and aim ought to be in having compassion? To reflect the compassion of God to someone. One of the things me and my wife have strived for in parenting is to try to parent our child the way God parents us. There's times when it's easy to be too strict. There's times when it's easy to be too lenient. There's times when it's easy to allow the waters to be murky and for your child to not understand what you're doing. But uh, we have to accept this amazing responsibility to show and convey to children the compassion and love and relationship that God seeks for between them and Him by the relationship and compassion that we have with them and on them. She looked at this child and saw an opportunity. And any child we look at, we ought to see an opportunity. An opportunity for somebody to do something great for God. I don't know everything that she understood. It was, it was passed down throughout those generations. 450 years, it was passed down that a Redeemer was coming. I don't know how much Jochebed understood about the little boy that she held in her arms. I don't know if Jochebed really knew. If you really look at that word, do you know what it means when it says goodly? It means that she saw the child was godlike. She saw God in that child. Now, I'm not saying that child was divine. We understand Moses was not. We understand that he was human. But she saw in him the opportunity for God to do something great. I don't know if she knew that Moses would be him. I don't know if she understood that he would be the one that would lead them out. But she understood that he could be the one to lead them out. There's not a single person laying in a prison... There's not a single tragic end to a, uh, to a life that was thrown into drugs and alcohol, but what there was an opportunity somewhere for someone to make an influence. And understand, ladies, I, I'm not pushing all of the burden, but I'm just my, merely trying to get you to understand the influence that you have over your children. How you treat them will determine much of how that they treat God. So we see the perception that she had. Then I want you to notice, secondly, notice not only her perception, but her protection. 
Look at the end of verse number 2. The Bible says she hid him three months. Now, we know why this was so important. We understand if you were to read in chapter number 1, you would find that, uh, the, uh, that the Pharaoh at the time was afraid of the, the numbers, the numerical power that the Jews were uh, beginning to accumulate. And he was afraid that one of these days their enemies were going to come in and the Jews were going to side with uh, Egypt's enemies and help in an overthrow and a coup of that, uh, of that nation. And so the plan that the Pharaoh devised was to kill all of the male children that were born in Egypt of the Hebrews. We know the story of how that the midwives refused to take part in it. God blessed the midwives. But understand this, that she not only saw a great potential in her child, but she saw that the world had great designs of destruction for her child. She understood the danger of not hiding that child. I'm going to say some things, and I hope you understand what I'm trying to say you know, we, we hear all the time, and maybe it's just me. I, I grew up in a Bible-believing church, and I grew up in a Christian school. And, and the great cry that, that Christian school kids always make is, Oh, well, I was sheltered. I was sheltered. I didn't get to experience life like other people did. And let me say this, that we're so worried about sheltering our kids sometimes that we shove them out into the rain and the snow and the wind and the storms. I'm aware we need to watch over how we parent our children. I'm aware that our children don't need to live in a bubble, you understand. But understand this too, that the world is out to destroy your child. Just like the world's out to destroy my child. Make no bones about it. If the devil gets a hold of them, he'll make a wreck of them. And there's value in hiding them. She hid them because they had to be hid. She hid them because there was an adversary that was roaming about. You can imagine the fear in Jochebed's heart and mind. Maybe as the Egyptian soldiers would march through the slave quarters and would begin to look and search for any children. You can imagine the fear that she must have felt as she held that little baby or prayed as she had hid him away and she prayed that he wouldn't cry, that he wouldn't make a noise. But that for as long as she could, she'd protect him and watch over him. Let me say this, kids one day are going to experience the world whether we like it or not. So we ought to do everything we can to hide them as long as we can. Listen, I know that's not popular. I know you're not going to see that in any books. I know that flies in the face of modern pop psychology, even modern so-called Christian pop psychology. But that's the reality of the matter. I've never known a kid to wind up messed up because their parents kept them from too much worldliness and sin. I've known a lot of them that wound up messed up because their parents allowed too much worldliness and sin in. You know, it's interesting what she does. She goes on, we see her, her protection, and we ought to protect that child. We'll do everything we can to keep... You know what I always think about? And I don't know, man, this is, this is weird. I don't know if it feels weird to you today, but it feels weird to me. So I I'm blaming you one way or the other. But I believe this is what the Spirit of God has for us this morning. You know what I always think about? I always think about the prodigal son... You know, the Bible, somebody put the idea of the far country in that boy's mind. He grew up on his daddy's farm. Where did he hear about the far country? Where did he about the, hear about the flowing liquor and the loose women? Where did he hear about the sights to behold and the senses to experience? Someone in that household was talking about the far country. Might have been a servant talking about the far country. 
Might have been older brother talking about the far country. But someone in that household was sitting around talking about the far country. That young man would have been a lot better off if he had never even heard about the far country. Some of you grew up in a time where you, you didn't even... I, I mean, there were things in this world you'd never even heard of in the way of sin and debauchery. Can I just clue you in on something? Can I give you a reality check? Uh, your, your child, your, your six, seven, eight-year-old child or grandchild or great-grandchild, uh, most of the time they know more today than you knew when you was 25. I'm telling you we're underestimating the influence of the world on our children today. Fifty, seventy-five years ago, preachers preached harder against worldliness than they do today. And now, fifty to seventy-five years later, uh, society is more worldly than it was then, and we do less preaching about it now. Saying there's value in hiding your children. There are some things you ought to hide them from. And I've heard a lot of those young people that grew up like I did. Man, I was sheltered, I was sheltered. You know, it's always the kids that was sheltered that, that turn out right. I'm not saying every kid that's sheltered turns out right, but I'm saying the ones that do turn out right, uh, almost without exception, it's the ones that were watched over, that were protected. They say, I just didn't get to experience. What experience? Experience the drugs that ravage your body? Experience the alcohol that puts you in a car wreck? Those are the things you want to experience? The truth of the matter is, she kept him head long as she could. There came a time when she couldn't, and she knew there would come that time too. Don't you know that she knew there would come a time when she couldn't hide him any longer? But she kept him head long as she could. Then notice her plan. This is interesting. You know what she does? She takes and forms an ark out of bulrushes. The Bible says she daubed it with slime. You know what I find interesting? Uh, two things, and I wasn't even going to preach on this, but I think it's worth mentioning. One of them is this. Could you imagine what a fit people would have had today if that happened now? Let me tell you something. The things that she applied to her child's environment are not proper or acceptable in world or society's terms. Could you imagine... I mean, listen, kids get dirty enough without you even trying, right? Our little boy, sometimes he'll come up to me and he'll, have, he'll just have stuff on him. I don't even know what it is. I mean, it's like stuff that we don't even have, you know? Like you have sweet potato in your hair. We don't even have sweet potatoes in the house. Where did you get sweet potatoes? On? They just, they get filthy. I was looking at a picture of them the other day. At, and, you know, they're learning how to eat. You know, baby, I mean, they, they, when they eat, they, you know, just everywhere. And I was looking at a picture of my son the other day. And he looks, you see him right now. I mean, he's all cleaned up. You know, we, we literally took him out of the bath, dried him off, threw him in clothes, brought him down, you know. Because if we let go of him for any more than 15 seconds, I mean, he'll just be covered in stuff. I was looking at a picture of him the other day, and he's sitting there, and everybody, everybody's like, oh, look how cute he is. You know, he's so cute. It's that one where he's playing the, you know, that little guitar thing that he had. Everybody, oh, he's so cute. Oh, he's so sweet. And I looked at him, and I thought, oh, he's filthy. Look at him. He's covered in stuff. Kids get filthy enough on their own. But, man, she daubed him with slime. She covered him with mud. She placed him in an ark of bulrushes. See, that's not acceptable to the world. But let me say this. He was a lot safer in the ark of bulrushes with the things that the world did not appreciate than he was if she had kept him out and kept him clean in the world's eyes. There's a lot of things, and, I, and I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit of God to give me the right words as I say this, because if I don't, it'll be said wrong. We live in a world where, I mean, 
the, the greatest disease in America right now is germophobia. Isn't that true? We got, we got hand sanitizer everywhere. Could you imagine? The way some of you grew up, could you imagine? You'd just go running, you'd swim in stuff that glowed. You would... And now mothers, I mean, everything. Everything's got to be, you know, like soy, tofu, gluten-free, sugar-free, fructose-free, syrup-free, taste-free. Could you imagine Jochebed placing her little boy in an ark of bulrushes? You know, we're protecting our children from everything but the world. Mm, Let me say it again. We're protecting our children from everything but the world and sin. We're, 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 listen, we're spending $80 a pop on microwavable dinners that are made out of air so that they won't have their little bellies upset, and then we're sending them out into sin and debauchery and destruction. We're keeping all of the, all of the impurities of food out of our... And I'm not opposed to that, and I'm not making light of that. God bless you. If you want to do that, that's wonderful. Who knows what's in the food that they fix? But let me tell you something. It's mighty hypocritical to be so concerned about the things that they put into their physical body and not be concerned at all about the things they put into their mind, into their soul and into their spirit. wasn't acceptable in the world's eyes, but that was her plan. She knew if she could get him in the ark and get him sealed, that he'd be all right. And, you know, that's the design. That's the aim. That's the aim of biblical motherhood. You know that that ark, you know what that means when it says they pitched it with slime? Dobbed it. That's the same word, same Hebrew word that's used when Noah built the ark. It's the word kafar. It means a covering. Do you know it's the very same word that's used in the Old Testament for the word atonement? She understood if she could just get him in the ark and just get him covered, that everything would be all right. Every night before we go to bed, we don't do it on church nights because he already has to listen to me preach. I mean, you know how hard that is. But every night when we have devotions, we pray for God to save our son. If God will answer that prayer, then I can live with whatever answer for whatever prayer that he ever gives. If he'll answer that prayer, I know God's willing, but I pray that God will convict my little boy and save him. That's the grand design of my role as a parent, is to see that child come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saying it ends there. There's more beyond that. But that's the chief and grand purpose. Let me say, mothers, that her, her, her plan, her plan was to get him in the ark, get him covered, and then commit him to God. You understand where she was placing him? She's putting him in the Nile. The Nile. I mean... Uh, Google it. The Nile. People go down to get a drink of water and a crocodile scoop them up. Dangerous place she's putting them into. But she knew if he's covered, he'd be okay. Dangerous places. It's a dangerous world we're raising our kids in. Oh, but friend, if we can get if we can get them saved, if we can get them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the first step. It's the first. I'm not saying that's all there is. I'm aware. We want to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We can sit down. We can, we can talk about all the, you know, James Dobson focus on the family or whatever nonsense you want to talk about. Well, I, I understand that. But I'm saying the primary thing. You can raise them with all the right influences. You can raise them in church. You can raise them up. Give them a good education. Get them six college degrees. And if they're lost without Christ, then you fail. You failed at least if you could have done something to influence. So we see her plan. 
we see her plan. But then I want you to notice her privilege. Man, this, God astounds me. Does God ever just astound you with the things He does? This is what God did. She had fulfilled her job and her duty. She had done what was needed for her to do. And then down the Nile goes the little baby. And the baby cries. We know the story. Pharaoh's daughter picks the baby up, begins to care for it. Moses' sister goes and says, Do you need me to find a Hebrew that can nurse this child? She says, Yes. And her privilege was to get to not only watch over and care for her child, but to get paid to do it. To get paid to do it. That was her privilege. Nobody else got that, but she got that. You know what the grand privilege is, mothers? That you get to raise that baby and love that baby and cherish that baby. Or maybe it's a grandbaby or a great-grandbaby, a niece, a nephew, a cousin, whoever it might be. You get to have an influence on their life. You get to take care of them and nurture them and show them God. And beyond that, God rewards you for it. God rewards you for it. God sees every tear that you cry. He knows. He hears every time your heart breaks. He's aware of every difficult time that you have. He knows about it. He keeps a record of it. He watches over you. He protects you. He provides for you. That's the grand privilege. I could say that about fathers. It would be equally true. What a blessing that God would entrust us with a child. But not only entrust us with a child, but if we'll serve Him and raise that child for His glory, He too will reward us for it. And notice finally, and I'm done, we see her present. Say her present? What present? If you were to read this narrative and never have read your Bible before, you wouldn't know who we were talking about till you came to verse number 10. See... He wasn't really Moses until you come to verse number 10. Because the Bible says that Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses. said, because I drew him out of the water. I don't know what Jochebed would have named him. Probably Toby. You know? Good a name as any. I don't know what she would have named him. She named him Moses. Pharaoh's daughter did. Let me say this, that the world is the one that judges our parenting. They're the ones that decide. I know, I understand, God judges us, but you know what I mean too. I mean, let me tell you something, that baby's always going to be precious in your eyes, but what's their testimony like? I don't say this to over... There, there's probably, listen now, there's probably not a person in this room that doesn't have a family member. I mean, just in this part of the country, in in this part of the world, there's probably not a person in this room that doesn't have a family member that was raised right and is living wrong. I'm aware of that. I don't say that to overburden you. I I don't say that to place the blame. People make their own decisions. I'm aware of that. But understand that, by and large, the world's the one that's going to determine what the testimony... They're the one that's going to determine... They're going to make their mind up, just like Pharaoh's daughter made her mind up. She named him Moses. You see, that was Jochebed's privilege, but it was her present to the world. Moses, the one that redeemed the Hebrews. The one that instituted the Passover. The one that God allowed to bring water out of the rock. The one that parted the Red Sea. The one that stood on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord Jesus Christ. was that little boy that had bounced on her knee. 
That was what she gave to the world. The average person, if you ask them who Jochebed is, unless they're a Bible student, they won't know. But you could ask anyone who Moses is, and they can tell you. You see, that was her impact in the world. That was her impact in the world. Her impact was felt through her child, and she changed the whole world. One of the great misnomers of society is that to believe in the biblical order of the home is to lessen the reverence and respect for wives and mothers. If we have a proper biblical worldview, we'll have more reverence and respect for wives and mothers than anyone will. Because when we have the proper biblical worldview, we see them as literally the one. What, what's the word? The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. Some of you in this room, you've got kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And you're, you've got a scope of influence on their life. What are you doing with it? If you're like most people, you're not doing much of anything with it. That's how most people are. I hope you're not that way. That's how most people are. Most people aren't deliberately trying to influence someone for Christ. But understand that you can. You have the wherewithal. You have the means. You have the influence. Some of you might say, well, preacher, I've got a child that's away from God. Is that my fault? No, not necessarily. Not necessarily. I'd say this, and I'm done, but I feel like this needs to be said. The prodigal son, he left home, didn't he? I'd say his daddy was pretty near perfect, wouldn't you? In fact, I'd say in as much as his daddy represented God the Father, he was absolutely perfect. I'm not saying, I don't want to be misunderstood this morning. I'm not saying if you have a child away from God that it's your fault. I'm saying this, that if you've got a child in your care, you have a great influence and a great opportunity to have an impact on them. So what are you going to do with that opportunity? What are you going to do with those little grandbabies, my, those little sons, my little son? He's being weird. I don't know where he gets that from. We have an, influence, uh, an opportunity to have an influence and an impact. What are we going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Here, here's what I'd like you to do, but what I'd like doesn't matter. If God spoke to your heart this morning, I want you to take an opportunity to commit everybody or influence to the Lord Jesus Christ. And to say, Lord, I want to take every opportunity that I have to point someone towards Christ, and especially the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that I as a mother have over them or a grandmother or a great-grandmother. And to commit for the rest of your days the opportunities that you have to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what about us fathers? I'll tell you the greatest thing you can do as a father, is you can love and support and pray for your wife. I know we don't like to talk that way because we're the head of the home. It's supposed to be all about us, right? No, no. Just as the pastor is the under-shepherd and there's an authority above him, men, there's an authority above you in the home, and that's Christ, and that's who it's about. So this morning, I want you to take this opportunity to yield to the Lord as He's dealt with you.